Look at Hebrews chapter 9. get there in a minute setting the stage for later here <clears throat> chapter 9 of Hebrews verse number 24 is where we're going to begin stand to your feet if you would I know you just sat down but I should stand back up I'm going to honestly I'm going to be honest with you this morning I'm probably going to do more reading than preaching today. And the reason why is because the thing that we're going to be reading about really doesn't require an awful lot of interpretation. Okay? You'll see where I'm, what I mean by that here in just a minute. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. It says, For Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, on our behalf, meaning he didn't just walk into a natural temple that people built, but literally into the temple of God being that in heaven. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with, the sin, with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's pray this morning. Father, we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. You began a work in us when you saved us. Your first coming, Lord, was about saving us and cleansing us from our sins. But God, we look to a brighter day now. We look to a future hope in which you will return again. God, I pray that we will never put that on the back burner of our mind. That we'll never forget that hope that lies ahead. God, that we would tailor our entire life around the very fact that one day you will return and bring this earth to a close as we know it. God, that we will stand before you God, I pray that we would be a people in light, walking in light and not in darkness. I pray for your anointing this morning as a messenger to speak this word through the anointing power of the Holy Ghost. Let it not be a sermon that just dies at the noon hour that we forget about easily, but let it be something, Lord, that resonates within us throughout the entire week and throughout our entire life. Let it be a very word, Lord, that guides who we are every day until that day that you return. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. At the end of the ages. So here's what we got to understand this morning is that we are living in the end of the ages. What you have to realize this morning is that when Jesus, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died and rose again and ascended back to the Father in heaven. That began the end of the ages. There was a period of time you got from creation up through Noah, and then Noah on up through Abraham, and Abraham throughout the judges and throughout the prophets, and, and all that leading up to uh, the, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior. So all of that, 
you know, 4,000 years roughly, give or take, somewhere around through there. Uh, those were different ages. But when Jesus came and he died to, to put away sins of mankind forever, that began the end of the age. There will never be another time where uh, things change as it regards the thing of God. We are living in the ages in which Jesus established his church and then now the only thing that's left is for Jesus to come back for his church. We are living in the last ages and we don't know how long those ages will be. They've gone on for about 2,000 years now, maybe another 2,000 years. I highly doubt that. I believe that it's, it's, it's uh, closer now than it's ever been. But the point being uh, is not to try to figure out how it's all going to happen. The point this morning is for us to be reminded at the ever-reminding fact throughout the entirety of the word, word that Jesus Christ will come back again. Amen? Hallelujah. He came and he died once in, in, to, cre- to begin the end of the ages. And as it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment, so Christ has offered once to bear the sins of many. That was his first coming. He came to bear the sins on the cross for all of us and then to appear a second time, not to deal with sin. He already did that at the cross, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. To take those of us who have trusted in his first coming into that new life in which we live with Christ for all eternity. To save us from this world, from the sin that's in it, from the battle of Satan, and from our own temptations and battles and pains and death and sickness and all the things that make life so crummy. He came to save us from our fatty liver tumors. He came to save us from our congestive heart failure. He came to save us from our failures and our temptations and weaknesses and all that. He's going to come the second time to take us home. Folks, just as sure as He came the first time, He's coming the second time. All of the teachings of Jesus, of all the teachings of Jesus, one of the things he taught the most was about his second coming. Jesus talked a lot about his second coming. He wanted to make it very clear that he was going to die, but that he was going to raise again, and that he was going to go on to be with the Father, but that but one day he would return over and over and over in his teaching, even teachings that weren't necessarily directly referring to His second coming, in some way would indirectly uh, uh, refer to His second coming. He taught a lot about it. Yet in many churches today, it's taught the least, if at all. In a lot of church circles today, people, a lot of Christians have, cons- have uh, succumbed to this idea of, well, it's been so long, we've talked about it, it's, it's not come yet, and it makes people feel uncomfortable. You know why the the teaching of Jesus coming again makes people feel uncomfortable? Because they're not ready for it, right? If we're ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ, then it don't make us feel uncomfortable, amen? Something that we look forward to, we realize He's coming to save us, amen, from this world. He saved us from our sins so that He could save us from this earth uh, eventually. So to to deny Jesus' return, second return to earth, is to deny Him completely. Right? As Christians, we can talk about Him going to the cross and dying for our sins, but if we fail to remember and live our life pointing towards that event, in a sense, we're denying the very thing that Jesus taught and who He said He was going to be. Quite frankly, if you look at it like this, Jesus' integrity is at stake concerning His second coming. Jesus Himself said, I go to prepare a place for you, 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. If that doesn't happen, if we say, oh, well, no, he's not really going to come again. It's all going to be a state of mind and blah, blah, blah. Then we ultimately are calling Jesus a liar. His integ- Jesus staked his entire integrity, his name, who he is, what he was, what he came to do. He staked it all on the very fact that one day he will come again. This earth is not going to last like it is. It's just not. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to be too ultimate, spirit, ultimately spiritually direct, spiritual to recognize that this world can't go on like this forever. I mean, it just can't. You think about what we've done, not only to our planet, but to ourselves. Everything, I mean, anything that has a beginning has got to have an ending, right? I mean, if we can stop and say, okay, well, God began this world, it doesn't take a, a, a genius to figure that out, that creation didn't just happen by some amoeba and some blob by some freak chance of nature. We look at the earth and we know and we can tell that God, being far greater than us, began it. He started it. And so what is so hard for us to believe that the same God who started it will also one day end it. God loves us too much to let this world go on like it is. Amen? He wants to stop it. He wants to get us out of this mess there's um it's referenced i read i read a fact here i didn't look this all up but they say that the second coming of jesus is referenced eight times more than the lord's first coming i said i didn't count that all but i don't doubt it uh the thing about it is this his whole purpose in coming the first time was so that he would come a second time right it's his whole purpose Jesus came the first time because he knew that one day he's coming a second time. And had he not come the first time, you and I wouldn't be ready. Had Jesus not come the first time to take care of our sins, when Jesus returns and destroys this earth, we'd have been destroyed also. But Jesus came once for us that we might be prepared and ready for that second coming. It's Just in the New Testament alone, the second coming of Jesus is alluded to over 300 times in some form or fashion. It's all over the place. Do we, do we, and you, only you can answer this question, but do we live every day as though we're watching for the coming of Jesus Christ? I mean, if you've been in church any at all, you know in the back of your mind, okay, Jesus is coming again. But how much are we, I guess my point is this, if Jesus pounded this, I mean, he, and he taught it so fervently and so much, it ought to be something that gets a little bit more of our attention. Amen. I think it would direct and it would guide how we live our life. If I, lived, if, I wake the, if I wake every morning and think to myself, this could be the day that Jesus comes. Now, if I wake in the morning and I convince myself, well, it's not going to be today. I mean, that's, you know, I've been, they've been saying that for so many years and it's just I doubt it's going to be today. Then I've got a little bit of loosey-goosey in my day and I might just get away with a few things, right? But if I wake up in the morning convinced, hey, Jesus really could be coming back today, it's going to guide how I live my life. I'm going to tie up an awful lot of loose ends. Those little things in my life that I know weren't right. I mean, I know God still loves me, but there's... And every one of us in this room can put our finger on something, right? We can put our fingers on something and say, I know that this isn't right in my life. If we really believed and we're really watching for Jesus to come today, we would would go and we would fix those things. Amen? We would put put, uh, our finger on them and say, God, I need your help to fix this, right? We would adjust it. We would tie up any loose ends. We would go to that person that 
maybe offended us, or we would go to that person, or we would, I mean, you name it, the, the list is in us. Every one of us can put our finger on something that we would do different if we knew Jesus was coming today. My encouragement to you this morning is to do it. Do it. Whatever it is, it's different for everybody. I have my loose ends. I don't have to get up here and tell you what my loose ends are. I've got them. You've got them. Do it. Don't wait. What are we waiting for? I mean, for crying out loud. Because when, as soon as the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes, there's no time to tie up the loose end. So let's live every day as the Word of God compels us to, knowing that Jesus one day will return. Amen? Is that fair? Does that make sense? I say that not to be mean or, or, or to point a finger. I say that for your own well-being. Amen? And not to mention, quite frankly, if you and I will put our finger on that one thing or two things or whatever in our life that we know we need to take care of, if we take care of that today, and Jesus comes 100 years from now, do you know that that period is going to be far more blessed? I mean, if you, never, if you die before the coming of Jesus comes, this period is going to be more blessed. Why? Because you're living in obedience. And there's just, it's just a better life living in obedience. It's not perfect and it has its challenges, but it's just better. Amen? Uh, turn into Matthew chapter number 24. Like I said, I, I want to I read probably more than... For one thing, if I was to comment on every single verse that we're going to go across here today, we'd be here for hours. But again, when it comes to Jesus' teaching uh, about His second coming, it, there's, you don't need a whole awful lot of interpretation. It's pretty plain. <clears throat> Maybe, you know, as to... Win, of course, there's all kinds of arguments. Is He coming before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation? Is He coming after the tribulation? None of that is my point this morning because, quite frankly, the, the Word just doesn't spell it out exactly how it's all going to go down. We can, argue, we can argue for hours on end about when is it going to happen, how is it going to happen. It doesn't matter. What matters is it's going to happen. Amen? No matter how you believe as far as the logistics, we can all agree that Jesus is coming back again. Amen? And that's what we gain out of this. Jesus, when He was talking about this, it was, it was a more of a matter of showing, uh, giving us a picture of what it's going to be like so that as it starts to unfold, something within us, the Holy Spirit within us starts thinking, hey, that's one of the things that Jesus talked about would happen. So it wasn't about giving us a, a step-by-step, you'll know exactly what's going to happen. Let's read chapter number 24 in Matthew. Jesus left the temple and was going away when His disciples came to, the point out, came to point out to Him the buildings of the temple. But He answered, you see all these uh, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And we know in 70 AD that the Romans came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and that, that prophecy of Christ came to pass. Amen. Not one stone of the temple was left. They absolutely uh, destroyed the entire thing. So there were things that Jesus spoke of that were going to initially happen But then there were things that Jesus spoke of that wouldn't happen in, per se, the day of the disciples, but would happen at the end of time. We're living in the end of the age, but Jesus is talking a little bit about what things are going to be like in the end of time, when it all starts wrapping up. And they sat on the Mount of Olives, verse 3, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus uh, answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. 
For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. The King James says the beginning of sorrows. So we're talking about an increasing in you know, earthquakes and uh, uh, volcanoes and just nature. Basically what Jesus is saying is nature is going to be in revolt. Okay, there's always been volcanoes erupting. There's always been earthquakes. But he's saying you're going to see some earthquakes in places that you normally wouldn't see earthquakes in, right? And, and so it's not that every time a tornado runs around we think, oh, this is it. But what he's saying is that you begin to see, we'll begin to see nature, the earth itself, almost as though in revolt and just it doing some weird stuff that we've never seen it do before. And quite frankly, uh, if you don't have to watch the news very long to see that, that oh, this old earth is kind of doing some freaky stuff, Right? Wars and rumors of wars, we see all of that. It's always going to have that, but it's going to take on a new nature. War and, and nations coming against nation will be about more than just power like it used to be. It's going to take on a whole other nature in the sense of it's going to be more of a spiritual thing. And we see those types of things coming in line and taking place. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to, the, to uh, tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by nations, by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will wax cold. What is lawlessness? It's the absence of law, right? Uh, The King James says, when iniquity or sin abounds, the love of many will wax cold or grow cold. In other words, the more... The more we, ha- we live in an anything-goes society, the more we put laws and commandments aside and sin increases, you push, it's just it's the way it works. You push God aside, sin will increase, right? So the more we push God aside, which we're doing in our society today, the more sin and lawlessness will increase, and the more lawlessness and sin increases, the more people's love level goes down. What happens when people no longer have love for one another? It's a free-for-all. We're at each other's throat. And, and we're literally living in a day where we see people don't have a genuine love for fellow man like they used to. It's dog eat dog, get what I can get. Why is that? Because sin and iniquity, lawlessness, we're living in a lawless nation and world, quite frankly. He said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. God said, hey, I'm fair. Everybody's going to hear, everybody's going to have a chance to hear the gospel. Nations where the gospel was no longer allowed to be there. God has opened doors for missionaries to go in and preach the gospel in some of these areas. And quite frankly, uh, through, the, through the modern t- technology, you know, satellite dishes and televisions and the internet, literally the gospel is being preached over the entirety of the world. We don't think about that being a big deal so much. I mean, you turn on a station, and don't get me wrong, not every religious station on TV is worth watching, but the point being that God is bringing the gospel into all the nations of the world, and to us, we're used to satellite and TV, and it's no big deal. But man, flash back about 100 years. Try to think like a person a hundred years ago who's never heard of satellite and thinking to themselves, how can all the nations of the world hear the gospel? It's a lot of things coming together. Amen? So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. 
Let the one who is in the field not return back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. You know, and I'm not, I, I don't have near time to get into all of this, but for one thing, when the Romans, who were Gentile people, considered just to be slugs, and the low, when, when those Roman Gentiles marched into the temple and destroyed it, in one sense, that was an abomination. They desolated the entire temple. For a, for a Gentile to be in the temple at all, it defiled the temple. But now it's full of Gentiles, and they're destroying it. So we're seeing a fulfillment, partially, partially at least, uh, whenever in 70 AD when all of that was destroyed and, and, and the Jews were run out, they were run amok. They were run out of their homes. They were run out of the cities. But you have to, we have to take it even a step further and look. Jesus talks about a tribulation, which we'll read about later on in this chapter, a tribulation such as the world has never seen. He's also speaking about a time in which, uh, in which the, the abomination of desolation, quite frankly, if you read in Revelation, Many believe that to be a, a, an idol or a statue of the Antichrist that he will set up within the temple and force everybody to bow down to. I don't know. We don't know how it's all going to go down. The bottom line is when you see that that is holy and that that is sacred desecrated, you're going to know something is bad up. Amen? And quite frankly, we can look at that in a personal note and, and we as, as the temple of the Holy Ghost and, and every day Satan is coming to try to, to try to lead, bring things into our life that desecrate us. Try to pull us and tug us away uh, from, from, from what we know to be truth. And folks, these reminders, these scriptures that we know are there, that we, we don't think about much, Jesus is pounding and he's pounding because when we start to go off track just a little bit, man, for me, one reminder that Jesus is coming back again, it just kind of pulls me back onto the right way. Amen. I don't know about you. I just want to be ready when Jesus comes. Hallelujah. I said, if it hasn't been, in those days had it, not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And I want you to grab a hold of that here this morning. He said there's going to be an increase in people who claim to be God, who claim to be a Messiah, claim to be Christ, uh, trying to get followers. And, and we've seen that. Uh, throughout history and even today we've seen that but here's the thing is he says that they will be able to perform signs and wonders what we find is that satan you know in revelation the 12th chapter it says that satan uh, uh is come against us with a wrath because he knows he has but a short time we have to understand that satan is powerful and he will show his power the closer it gets to the end of time for the purpose of deceiving when we read about the Antichrist in Revelation, he will be able to perform wonders, signs that will just mesmerize people and people will believe him because of what they're seeing. And Jesus is warning us against that. Don't go by what you see. The just, Christians don't live by sight. We live by faith. We don't live, we're not tricked by what we see. We live by the word of God, the word of Christ that has been embedded in our soul. That even the elect might be deceived if possible. Well, we have to press in, amen? We've got to be seeking God. We've got to know what is true. We've got to have discernment to know what is God and what isn't. See, I've told you beforehand 
Verse 25. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. As the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know, when you catch a, a flash of lightning, how long does that last? It's very quick. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to understand what my coming is going to be like. Everybody always thinks, well, I've got time, I'll repent later, or I'll have, you know. He, he says in, in the moment, another place says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. A twinkling of an eye is, is not even really a blink. I mean, a blink is fast. A twinkling is literally like a changing of the expression or a, a, a light that glares off of your eye that fast. The moment in the twinkling of an eye, as fast as lightning flashes across the sky, boom, that's how fast the coming of Jesus Christ is going to be. That's why he presses over and over, and we'll see this, over and over. Anywhere you read about the second coming of Jesus Christ, you're going to read words like watch, be ready, be prepared, be sober-minded, right? You're gonna, because, he's, that, because it's going to happen so fast, the purpose is that we're always watching. Hallelujah. If, if I'm out in the middle of a field holding a big shovel, big metal shovel, in a, in a lightning storm, I have cause to be fearful. Amen? Because I don't have any warning whatsoever. I'm standing out there, there's, you know, because the thunder comes after the lightning, Right? So there's no warning. It's just the lightning strikes me. There's no warning. I'm just literally gambling my life by walking out there. There's no warning. It just, it just happens. But if I, have, if I have tucked myself away safely in my home, if I'm in my home or I'm in my basement, then it doesn't matter when the lightning strikes. Hallelujah. I'm safe no matter what. It'll strike. It doesn't matter. I'm safe. And, and we, we gamble with our eternal soul by walking through life knowing that the coming of Jesus could just happen that quick, but yet we, we allow ourselves to be engaged in, in activities and things that we know aren't right. We're gambling, it's the same. We're gambling with our soul and Jesus could come any moment. Man, we, don't live your life that way. That's no way to live. Why live in fear that Jesus might come and you won't be ready? Why not just get safe in Jesus and then it doesn't matter when the lightning strikes. Get safe, bring your life, and get it in line with God's Word. Then you're safe. It doesn't matter. Whenever Jesus comes, boom, he comes that fast, I'm ready to go. Hallelujah. It only makes sense. Where did I get to? Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Now remember, this is not just talking about in 70 AD. He's talking forward now. He's talking about a tribulation that this world has never known. Okay, up until this point, the sun has never been darkened. Up until this point, the moon shines every night. He's talking about the end, okay? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, which Revelation gives a clear picture of how terrible that period of time on earth is going to be. Plant life, a third of the plant life destroyed, the third of the sun being, being dimmed, and what, what else? Uh, uh, hailstones, I mean, you name it, you can read through Revelation, and you may not, you're not going to understand everything about Revelation, the symbolism stuff, but one thing you can gather is that things on this earth are going to be hell, hell on earth, going to be horrible. That none, and so that's what Jesus is talking about. In those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven 
the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from the end of heaven to the other. Amen? Think about that now. Why are all the nations of the world mourning? Why is, why is all the tribes and the nations and the families mourning when they look and they see the Son of Man coming in an instant? Because they're not ready. Peter talked about having, or maybe it was Paul, talked about having confidence before God at His coming. Having confidence in which we, we don't have to live in fear. We know that we're ready. These, he said, when it comes, the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of great glory. Because at that moment, that's all she wrote. At that moment, it's over. That moment is done. There's no fixing anything at that time. That's one reason, folks, quite frankly, I believe that's one reason why Jesus is coming in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. I believe that's why he's coming, as we'll read, as a thief in the night, when people least expect it, with no forewarning. Because you know what? If he gave us warning, you know what we would do as human beings. Let's be honest. You know what we would do. We would do what we're doing now. But we would do it worse. If we knew Jesus was coming tomorrow afternoon, or he was coming, let's say, no, let's say we knew Jesus was coming in December. Man, that gives me September, October, November, right? To not worry about it too awful much. I mean, I, I may start kind of, you know, rubbing up closer to Jesus as it gets closer. But if we knew when the time was coming, if we had a window, God said, I tell you what, I'll give you a heads up. I'll let you know before I'm coming. Then we would just, leave it all, leave our life loose. We would do things whatever we want, and then when it comes closer, then we'd get all holy. Then we'd get all spiritual. Then we would start repenting, and then we would start getting things in order for Him to come. And that's just not the way Jesus wants us to live. Jesus wants us to live for Him because we want to live for Him. He wants us to do what is right because it's what's right. Amen. And so Jesus said, I tell you what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let you, how many of you, you know, as a kid, if your parents are away and you're at home and the house is a mess and your mom said or your dad said to you, this house better be clean before I get back, how many of you young people would like to have a good heads up before mom and dad start heading home? You know how kids are, right? Sitting there playing video games or watching TV or talking on the phone or whatever, and whenever dad says, hey, I'm in West Plains, I'll be home in 30 minutes, then, then, then it's on, running through there. And then how, how good can you really clean, right, in that period of time? I, I like the element of surprise. <laughs> hey, man, I like, I, I'm like Jesus. I like to just say, just have it done. And then whatever time I get home, you can enjoy the rest of your day, quite frankly. Why worry all the time? Oh, is it going to? Just get it done. Be ready and enjoy your life. Hey, man, that's all Jesus is saying. Let's get it all settled. Be ready and enjoy your life. You don't have to live in fear all the time. If, these, if this type of sermon... The thought of Jesus coming creates, stirs fear in you. It doesn't have to. I mean, the whole purpose of Jesus preaching it, the whole purpose of me preaching it, is so that we can come to a place where we don't have to live in fear all the time. We get ready. We get prepared. Where did I leave off at? I have no idea. Verse 32, I think. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near. At the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Excuse me, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Remember that 
the ages, that generation that we're in now, that age of grace. It's not going to pass away. It's not going to end until these things take place, until Jesus comes. Amen? When, when springtime comes, it's been winter for a long time, and all the trees appear to be dead. All the leaves are off, and it's just sticks. But you look up there in the spring, and you start to see a bud, right? And when you see that bud, you don't have to be a scientist to know that means spring is on its way. That's what Jesus said. He said, all these things I'm talking about, the wars and rumors of wars and, you know, all of these things, uh, people rising up against you and, uh, you know, mothers against daughters and, you know, so for all these things that would take place, he said, that all that is is a bud. That's just something, that's, that's like a fig tree. It's budding and it's just showing you that things are getting close. I think, I personally think that Jesus is, is really shouting pretty loud in the earth today to, to make his people know and remind us that, hey, it's, it's, you know, it's almost spring. Things are budding. It's getting close. And see, the thing about it is Jesus can never reach the lost. I mean, Jesus is looking down at a lost world knowing that the time of his coming is, is soon and he looks at a whole lost world that's not ready for that. And how could he ever possibly get those people ready for that if his church isn't looking for it? Right? So he's wanting to get his church looking for and, and once again boldly proclaiming that Jesus is coming again. And you know what? When you do that, you go down Main Street and you gather up a group of sinners and start telling them that Jesus is coming back again, you'll be popular with them. Oh, they'll sing your praises and they'll just think you're the wisest person to ever live. You believe that? No, they're going to think you're nuts. They don't think you're, some of them will. Some of them will be smitten in their heart. Some of them that the Holy Spirit is already dealing with will begin, something will testify in their, in their soul and they'll recognize, man, this world is messed up and I got to do something. I got to get right with God. Some of them will. Some of them will mock till the day that Jesus comes back. That in itself is biblical prophecy. Their response is in our, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to believe that Jesus is coming, live our life like we know Jesus is coming and then be a witness to others that Jesus is coming. It's not just a doomsday message, oh, repent or perish. You know, it's, it's, hey, hey, how about, how about you, you go to heaven with God, right? It's, it's a good thing. We like, it's not a doomsday where we, you know, there's a lot of times people preach about hell as though they're glad there is one. People get off on telling people they're going to hell. Not me. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like the idea of anybody going to hell. I'm glad, I know there's a hell. I'm glad there's a way to get out of it. Amen? Hallelujah. When Jesus comes, he's bringing hell with him. He's bringing judgment with him. It's it's over at that point. We all stand before God to give an account for the works that we did in this life. I believe it was, uh, forgive me, I may may botch this. It's Ecclesiastes, I believe. Of course, we know Solomon, and he had his issues. He took his rabbit trails in life. But he ends Ecclesiastes saying something like this. Um... Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He said, basically, he said, this is what it all sums up to be. This is what it all comes down to. Fear God, keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. For God will bring into judgment every work that we have done, whether it's good or whether it's evil. Amen? That's Old Testament. God has, from the beginning, been preparing people for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let me finish out verse 20, chapter 24 here. I was going to go through 25, and I got all kinds of other stuff to read here, and we're running out of time. 
Verse number 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as uh, were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were what? Unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. All right, so first of all, we know there's been, uh, oh, how shall I say, quacks uh, that have risen up within the church of Jesus Christ over the years that have tried to pin down a day and a time or a period. This is when Jesus is going to come. I'm thinking to myself, you have not read your Bible. You must, have, you must have just flipped through. You got the Cleveland notes of the Bible or something. You didn't get it all because Jesus himself said, I don't even know. No man knows. The coming. Me and Brady's got to figure it out, though. I, said, I told him one time, I said, I'm not the coming of Jesus. I'm just saying this whole thought process. I said, you know, if, if someone says Jesus is coming on that day, then you can pretty much guarantee he's not going to come on that day. But then we thought, well, but if everybody thinks that he's not going to come on that day because everybody's waiting, that would be the time that it would be the most unexpected. It's messed up. We're twisted in our mind in the way we think about things. But bottom line is, if somebody guesses the day and he comes on that day, they just simply got lucky. <laughs> you can pretty much guarantee it's probably not going to happen on that day. Do I try to figure it out? Everybody's trying to figure it out. You know why? Because they want to make themselves look spiritual. We don't know when that time is going to come. That's, if there's one thing Jesus presses within his teaching is that nobody's going to know. Don't even try to figure it out. As it was in the days of Noah, when the flood came and took everybody away. See, one of the reasons why everybody rejected the teaching of Noah, when Noah said, hey, God has spoken to me to build an ark, it's, he's, God is going to flood the world, it's going to rain and flood the world, and that we all need to get on this ark. The reason why people mocked him and the reason why people didn't flood in to, to get on that ark was because they had never seen it rain before. It never rained on the earth. The Bible says that God watered the earth from the, gra- from the water underneath the ground. It seeped up, but it just didn't rain. And so they'd never seen that before. And so it was hard for them to believe it because they had never seen it. And so they just rode Noah off as a lunatic. And they went on marrying, giving in marriage, eating and drinking. What does that mean? They just went about life as usual. Thinking to themselves, it's not going to happen. i got all kinds of time. This is, it's not going to happen, so I'm just going to live life however I want. And if, if ever a time, especially in our country right now, as, as, as prosperity has spoiled us so much, people are just biding their time on this earth. People just living, eating, drinking, marrying, giving, just living life like normal and thinking, well, I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen him come before, so I can't therefore believe that he will. And just as those people, folks, multitudes and multitudes of people who were not ready when that rain started to fall. When that flood came, people were, the entire world, except for Noah and his small family, eight people, the entirety of the world was washed away just because they refused to believe that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Can you imagine what it must have been like for those people when the first raindrops fell? I mean, you remember the story how that, you know, God shut the door on the ark, remember? It was a way that Noah, no man could change God's plan. 
there was just a moment. I mean, God left that door open as long as He could. The invitation was open for as long as God could leave the invitation for anybody that wanted to escape the flood, escape destruction, come be safe. He left the door open as long as He could. But there come a point where God had to shut the door and that's it. And that's exactly what, the, the, that's what Jesus is getting across. That's where we're at now. The door is open. The door of grace is open and God is going to leave it open as long as He can possibly leave it open for people to turn away from their sins and come to Christ and be saved and be ready for that flood, be ready for that coming. But there will be a time when the Son of Man will come in the clouds with great power and great glory and that door will be shut. Can you imagine what it was like for those when that big door shut and the rain started to fall? Imagine, I can't imagine the fear and the regret and the guilt thinking to myself, it was true. Oh no, now, you know, and, and going and beating and clawing at the, at the ark and doing anything I can to get in, but it was just, it was just too late at that moment. The, the, the rains had already started to come. Wishing they'd got on that ark. And it'll be that way when, I mean, we, we know that the coming of Jesus is going to be in a moment's time. It's going to be fast. But the second that happens, people are going to have that exact same thought process. It's, it was true. Why didn't I? regret and shame, all of that can flood in. I wish I could. And at that point, too late. Why, why would we want to wait that long 